you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with episode four of Conversations for the Health of All Things. And today I'm joined by one of my coach and physician colleagues, Dr. Tanya Kaler. She thinks that you can find joy in family medicine even while you're training. And I'm so excited to have her join us today and talk about her experience with osteopathic principles, the health, and how coaching can be supportive for all of us. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about your story in medicine. Oh, goodness. Well, um, I am a family physician, and I worked in um, more of a private setting, community setting for several years and did a little bit of indigent care. Um, Moved to Alaska about 13 years ago because my husband thought this is a great adventure and actually has been a fantastic adventure, Um, but started doing um, more academic medicine, became um, faculty at the residency here, and fell in love with working with resident physicians and um, also wearing um, 15 or 20 hats, however many they hand you when you walk through the academic doors um, and wanting to do all of them perfectly. It's not a surprise that uh, about, you know, seven, eight years in, I completely burned out Mm -hmm. and found myself uh, in part-time community clinical medicine um, and as an on-call physician for the uh, residency. So I still work over there a little bit, but um, that's kind of my story in medicine. And how from there, so your self-experiencing burnout, have you moved into the space to really believe we can have joy in practicing family medicine and in training in family medicine? You know, after I healed from that burnout, which when I say heal, it means like I just kind of found myself again. Um, I thought that's all I needed. And it wasn't until um, I met a wonderful physician coach that I actually began to learn tools that I had never been taught my entire life. And in utilizing those tools, you are, you know, you've always heard that life is all about the journey and it's not the destination. I've heard that since I was young, right? But like, I didn't get it. Like, not when you're in the middle of, you know, a 30 hour call shift or like I did. And um, now the tools that I have, I, uh, I actually believe you can. And really, uh, it goes back to some basic principles about um, managing your mind. You know, every major world religion and every psychologist and psychiatrist can tell you the importance of uh, having a clean mindset. But it was something that I didn't understand and didn't know how to um, really take control of my thoughts. And that's, that's where the magic is. 
Yeah, that's so powerful. And I'm curious, and we talk in osteopathic medicine about the integration of body, mind, and spirit. And you mentioned this controlling of your mind being a way to help sustain yourself in practice. Did you notice anything come up in the way of your body during that time, like during your own burnout and how that's now shifted as you found these new tools to help you? Yeah, you know, the things that we as physicians know to tell our patients, right? Good self-care, exercise, eat nutritiously, all of those things go by the wayside when you're burning out. And now with the tools, um, realizing that I'm going to be my best self, not just when my mind is clear, but when I'm fueling my body well, when I'm like, you know, doing all the good maintenance and exercise with it and how all those things kind of blend together. Like the days where that are very stressful, if you're putting some exercise into it, it helps the mind. When the mind is um, uh, nice and clear, it allows me to really engage in exercise and they just overlap. They're really, it's a really interesting um, realm and I love that they can support one another and also you can kind of rely on one. You know, if you're kind of feeling low or run down in one of those areas, you can tap into the other to help bring it back up. I'm curious what you experience with that third part, spirit. You know, what does that mean for you? And there's so many great interpretations of that. I wonder how that expresses for you in your personal life and in your practice. I think um, a lot of people, you know, interpret that as um, feelings, um, and um, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. For me personally, I also kind of think of the spirit part as the soul, um, that you know, immutable um, spirit that lives within us. Um, and um, that uh, my faith is also a very integral part of my wellness. Yeah. And we also look at structure and function. And so we hear tools, right? And I think about tools and we build things with them. And so how do you see building structure to improve the function in your life? And that might be in schedule, you know, that might be in how you teach now. You talk about being in academics. I think about putting the curriculum together and the framework when I'm helping to teach. And I wonder what are those pieces that are most successful for you? Um, From a personal standpoint, I... um I definitely function much better when I am working from a schedule because um, I like to maximize my time. And even and when I say maximize my time, that includes my downtime, right? I schedule my downtime, my, my white space. Um, but I like to maximize it. And so I put it on a schedule. So I do actually function much better from a schedule. So the um, mind work is scheduled in there. The exercise is scheduled in there. The, um, the things that I do to rejuvenate myself are scheduled in there. And then all of the, the tasks to both um, be an efficient um, clinician, um, a good colleague, and an effective coach. I think that's so important. <clears throat> and I love that you highlighted scheduling the downtime because we can often think, oh, if I schedule everything, it's restrictive. But it can actually be really liberating to have that framework in there. And I wonder how you relay that to residents who might think they don't really have as much control over their time. How have you found counseling them or supporting them or instructing them in creating some structure in their schedule that is helpful in them and finding some of that joy in their day? You know, there's so many different ways that I'm able to kind of relate it. So helping them realize um, 
they're going to have small chunks of time and they're going to have bigger chunks of time. And so when they have like, let's say a grand rounds presentation, if they have a schedule, they don't have to wait to the last minute and think, oh my gosh, I haven't done anything. Then stay up all night and make their sleep suffer even more. Like they can say, you know what? I have this two hour block on this day. So finding those larger blocks for the larger items, because we know we can all fill up a large block with lots of small items, but it's so much more efficient. Like, so kind of giving them those tools, also giving them the tools that uh, let's say they have 10 minutes before clinic starts. So they feel like, Oh, I've only got 10 minutes. I don't really have time to do anything. I'm just going to scroll on social media. Mm -hmm. And if that's what they choose to do, that's fine. But helping them realize that they could get five of their inbox tasks done in that 10 minutes, and that will be less worry for them at the end of the day. Um, so really showing them how it actually benefits them and frees them up. So when they can leave the hospital or they leave the office that they really are free. Mm -hmm. I think it's really good. I think opening up that mental space is so key because we can spend so much time thinking about what we're going to do even more than we might spend actually doing it. And that can be really liberating. How have you found your teaching of residents changed when you started applying coaching principles? So you've been involved in academics forever. That sounds like most of your career. And how have you found, you know, the way you're talking to them or engaging with them or even responding to them has changed since incorporating coaching into your work? Um, you know, I think I'm a lot more reflective and I'm um, much less um, task driven. Like, you know, when they're precepting, yes, I understand the importance of efficiency and I'm not going to belabor, you know, philosophical points with them and slow them down. However, I'm listening for what they're giving me, not just clinically about the patient, but about where their concerns are about themselves or their clinical abilities are. Um, I think I'm a much better listener. I have a couple of residents that I stay in touch with that I was um, their advisor and mentor, and we've just maintained that relationship. And since coaching, um, it's, it's really fun to kind of transition to the coach because as an advisor, I was really good at giving advice and telling them this is where they should go. And as a coach, it is so fun to help them explore and let them know that they have the best answer for themselves better than I could give them, you know, and helping, helping uncover it for them. It is so much fun. Yes. That's one of my favorite parts about coaching and how I've always seen my practice, you know, telling patients, you have the answer, right? You're going to find it. We're going to discover health together and really being able to pull that out of people what have been some of the most kind of exciting discoveries? Maybe that blew your mind, right? Like seeing the potential where you knew they were amazing and they could do so many great things and where maybe they showed up and surprised you even beyond what you thought possible for them. Can you think of any particular examples there? Oh my goodness. I had one resident and this was very early. It's just it's very early in the coaching um, relationship. So I'm just starting to give them some of the tools and he was able to like on the fly in the middle of his day, change the trajectory of his day. He, he didn't have to call me and ask me or it, like, he, I just gave him a few little tools and he had, his afternoon was like remarkably a much better and much more satisfying experience than he was on the trajectory initially for. Um, and so that was just like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. 
Yeah. And I love that the change can happen now. You know, sometimes we're thinking, okay, we're going to learn this new thing and put them into place. And maybe in a month or six months or a year, it'll get better and we'll get there. But how amazing to see in a day, in an hour, in a minute, you know, there was an able to be a shift there. That's so powerful. And I think that lines up so nicely with the idea of removing obstructions to health. You know, so in my practice, I would do that physically in the clinic where we look at the body and see where there are tight spots and, you know, flow that's not happening and we're moving that to let the health come through. And it sounds like you're doing that in this way with coaching, right? You're giving them the tools to kind of clear things out of their path. Do you notice that maybe personally or in your work with residents where coaching actually helps you either sidestep or pick up and move an obstruction that might've otherwise been blocking your potential? I think for sure. Um, um, you know, I still, um, I have, I self coach and I also still have a coach. Um, and there are times, um, you know, you get better at self coaching. Um, and so there are times that, you know, I'm looking and thinking, you know, I'm like, there's this cognitive dissonance and I'm just like, I'm feeling the tension and I can't even put it into words. And then when I just slow down and kind of coach through myself can find that, the problem that I'm experiencing that's keeping me from um, whatever a myriad of different things it could be keeping me from, for my own health is actually a thought. Like sometimes it boils down to one simple thought. And sometimes it's that like inner critic or that negative self-talk. Right. Um, And sometimes when I can finally identify it, like just being aware it's there is really empowering. Mm -hmm. I love that. And we often think, the obstacles or obstructions are outside of us, but it's important to look and say, oh, there actually are probably some internally that we can address. I'm curious, as you're changing this self-talk and we're hearing how it affects your relationship with residents, how have you seen it manifest with patients and maybe even in some of your personal relationships, how this coaching has supported you there? Oh, well, I'll give you just kind of a, a, a superficial personal experience. I, um, <clears throat> you know, my husband and I are really, we've got like this whole fluid team thing going. We've done it for years now. Like these are my responsibilities. These are his. When I'm behind, he picks mine up. When he's behind, I pick his up and it works really well. But there are a couple of things that um, have always triggered me. So for instance, I'm kind of a little sensitive about being behind on laundry. And it may be because I spent our entire medical school and residency with two kids behind in laundry. But, um, I came home um, to a whole bunch of clothes out on the bathroom floor that had been like dumped out of the bin, meaning he had to go searching for something there. And so, you know, go back a few years, I would have seen that and I would have been defensive. And like, he left the pile of clothes there to make a point that I'm behind. And it would have like, I would have gone to go find him and have this confrontational discussion and just having done so much mind work recently, like that, that literally just happened a few weeks ago. And I came, I came in and I was like, oh, and so I separated and I put the clothes up in the basket and I took the load down and I washed it. And it was like a couple hours later, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't make that mean that he was frustrated. But the self-talk that I used to have was he's left this here to prove the point that you were way behind. He is disappointed in you keeping up your end of the cleaning bargain. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, coming from a clean mindset, I like it didn't, didn't even dawn on me. Yeah. And that's such a great example because we think again, we've seen coaching work professionally and for these major life events, but even those small moments, cause they add up 
right? The more time we spend in that frustration and that making up the dialogue of what's going on around us, that can be so relieving and so applicable. I think a lot of people wonder, is coaching for me? And I think anybody listening could think of an example like that in their lives where, oh, it actually could take some of the stress out of those everyday situations and make them a little less bothersome for us. I love that. How about with your patients? Do you find that you're using coaching clinically at all? Yeah. You know, a few years ago, I had switched from just traditional um, discussions with my patients to more of a motivational interviewing um, type, but coaching kind of takes that to a whole different level where um, I kind of take it back to what they're thinking. Like, because a lot of times, you know, let's say it's somebody whose hemoglobin A1C is elevated and um, I'm talking about the nutritional things they can do to improve that. The ones who have tried 15 different diets, they have a narrative in their head that says, I can't lose weight, right? So there's some limiting beliefs there. And so I kind of just explore with them a little bit differently and talk to them about what do they want to believe and talk about living out of that space because that's where they're going to find their power, right? Um, So it's really been um, great to be able to engage with my patients in a coaching type of way. Yeah, that's so powerful to be able to honor their experience, not make assumptions. That's another place that that opens up and give them opportunity to be part of that solution creation is so helpful. And I'm just curious. So for our listeners, you know, this is this osteopathic life and we're talking about osteopathic principles and you are an MD by training and certification and credentialing. And I'm curious what interaction you've had because so much of this echoes osteopathic philosophy. And I love that you're here because to me, they aren't reserved for DOs, right? Osteopathy is just a way to support health. And what has your interaction been with osteopathic philosophy or with osteopathic physicians? I'd love to hear more about that. You know, I think my understanding um, expanded of osteopathic medicine when I started um, in academic medicine up here. At the time, we were, you know, a duly accredited residency program. Um, One of our associate directors at the time um, was a DO herself, and um, the program did such a great job of both um, from a teaching standpoint, not just residents, but MD faculty in um, kind of the tenets of osteopathy, right? And they also gave us like little mini sessions, um, you know, so I had residents teaching me some like mm-hmm. very basic um, uh, osteopathic, you know, maneuvers and those kind of things, Um So that was kind of really nice, but just realizing um, the, not just the hands-on part of it, because that is really impressive. I think it's something like what, like 400 hours of hands-on time they've had after they finished um, osteopathic school. Like that was just super impressive, but also um, observing the residents that came from DO programs and then my DO colleagues as well, just putting the whole patient 
which lines up so beautifully with family medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because most of us are generalist and we want to help the whole person. And a lot of family physicians already explore outside of just the physical. Um, but to see that just like lived out with my colleagues and the residents, um, it was really great. Yeah, I think that's so great to see. And I love hearing of that integration and being able to learn in both directions, I think, at all levels in training, if we can open ourselves to that, right, when we are the teachers, but also to be able to welcome that from those we're training is so powerful and seems to apply with your coaching. Like you mentioned, you're coaching, you have a coach, you're coaching yourself, right? It's this kind of reciprocal relationship. I'm wondering for you, we talk a lot about health, how you experience health. You know, it's a big word or concept to define maybe for yourself or for your patients or for your residents as you look toward your coaching program you offer? Well, for me, personally, I like to think of my own health as um, it's not stagnant. It is very much ebbing and flowing with life, right? Um, But also like when I, to maximize my health, it's not just the physical, right? Like, so I, I really believe that you have to have the mind, body, spirit. You need to be working in all three of those areas to really um, realize your maximum wellness. Um, and then also having some of that self-compassion because those things will wax and wane and it's a practice and, you know, we're human, right? Mm-hmm. And can you picture, I like to ask this question to my patients because a lot of people will come to me with pain or when their health is in that waning phase. When do you remember feeling the most healthy? If you took a snapshot in your life, and maybe it's now, maybe it's historically, what would that picture be? Or maybe what were you doing when you felt the most robust version of health? You know, I have this one um, snapshot in my head. um, And I had just spent, I have four sisters. And so we had just, we were actually on sister weekend, right? (laughs) So there's that whole nourishing the spirit with that connection with um, family um, and just laughing. There's a lot of laughter involved. And I had been working out regularly and we were making really like unusual first sister trip, but we were making unusually healthy uh, (laughs) selections. Um, And I went running, we went, uh, two of us went running and I was in an, you know, some days when you're running, you just are like, it just feels amazing. Mm-hmm. We were running uphill and it just felt amazing. Like that's my snapshot, right? It was just like, it couldn't get any better than that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had little, you know, flashes here and yeah. there. No, then, but. and that's so great. No, I, like, I get chills thinking about you incorporated all of those, right? So you had the laughter and the spirit and you were nourishing your body with the food and connected. That's, that's so great. I'm wondering, and that lends itself, I think, even into this, tell me more about joy. And so I'll give you a little background. So for me, I often felt like joy was out there. Like it wasn't really for me because I saw kind of bubbly joy and it seemed almost unattainable because I associated myself with being more serious. And even we think about the practice of medicine, you know, it's like focused and in this space and, you know, evidence and it doesn't sound very joyful. And so I'm so intrigued and encouraged that's built in right to the title of your program and hopefully incorporated throughout. Tell me more about joy for you and joy in your program. Um, I like, I like to start with just kind of separating joy and happiness. 
Um, I think of happiness as um, more of an emotion or a feeling. And I know people, you, you know, it's all, I don't know, it's all how you, it's all semantics, but mm-hmm. for me, happiness is a, a feeling and emotion and joy there are going to be times when joy leads to this happiness and bubbly and giggliness, right? And there are other times where joy is just this, this lightness and contentment that happens despite circumstances, right? I mean, we're living in COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Like our whole world's upside down. There's all these things going on, but just being able to be content and peaceful um, and then taking everything, I think it really goes to how you accept the circumstances that you have no control over. Mm-hmm. So um, I think maybe that's one of the things that helps lead me to contentment and joy is just accepting. Um, and that's why you can, even in a long call weekend, you can find joy, right? Mm -hmm. It may, actually, you can probably find a lot of laughter in a long call weekend too. (laughs) Um, But even when there is sadness and grief and loss of life and things that happen um, during our call shifts, right? We can still find those moments of peace um, and contentment. And when you look at the human connection that happens, like when you're in that hospital, let's, you know, I go back to like this tragic story of this loss of this um, child and then the mom and the grandma and then watching the nurses like come around them and bolster them and package like this little gift up. Um, I mean, no, yeah, we're all sad and we're all grieving, but can see that there is even joy in the pain. Does that make sense? Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, that's so beautiful. And I love that because it makes it accessible, right? So like I said, for me, it seemed out there and not associated with what I was doing, but joy can have different interpretations and it can come in small doses. You know, it can come intermittently. You know, we might not have to stay there the whole time, right? But it can come and go and we and maybe even be more free with it, right? In that way where we can welcome when it comes and not try to hang on to it too much. You know, I think that's the thing too, is knowing it will come back. I think right. it's really helpful, especially right now when we're seeing so much challenge and adversity happening, but knowing that it can come in those waves. That's really, really beautiful. I think two things happen to residents um, along those lines with joy is number one is, it's really easy to be on the hamster wheel of when I get through medical school, when I get it into my clinicals, when I finish internship, when I finish residency, when I finally get my first job, when we finally decide to have a child, like, right, there's always this, I'm going to find joy. I'm going to find joy. And so we keep delaying this um, like magic joy that's going to happen. And so we miss the joy along the way. Um, I think that is one thing that happens. And then the other thing that I see quite often is the, um, the excitement type of joy. Mm-hmm. Resident physicians are ready to squash it, right? <laughs> like they're going for this job interview and it, it seems like it's everything they want. And rather than right now, just stop and enjoy that excitement 
they're like, I'm sure it's going to have this or they're going to have that and then the other shoe is going to fall. And, and they rob themselves of that little tiny moment of excitement, like enjoy the excitement. Who cares what happens when you get there and get full, you know, like, like just yeah. enjoy this moment. Yeah. That's such a good lesson for residents that I even hear that for me, you know, sometimes it's like, I'm not allowed to have joy. Right. Especially right now when there's so many things happening, you know, is that okay? You know? And so, yes. Right. Because what I see, and I'd love to hear your perspective is when we do step into joy and allow it and have it, it grows. Right. So it doesn't take it away from anybody else, but it actually invites it. And I love that beautiful example in such a hard time for that family and the loss, but that, you know, the nurses can hold space for it and it can actually expand. And do you see that? Do you see joy as actually, you know, could be getting joy when we allow it to be there? I do. And not just for the individual, right? But it, it frees the individual up to pour into others and they have an easier time of experiencing joy if they can receive it, right? Does that make sense? And so it actually totally. um, can propagate in that way. Mm-hmm. Yes. We think about, you know, leading and living by example. And sometimes we think of those stringent things, right? Doing exercise and eating the food. But what if our best example would be, how do we embody joy and how do we reflect it and demonstrate that we can have it and doesn't take it away from anyone and it grows it? I think that's really exciting. And I hear it as a challenge for myself, but one that would be, I'd be willing to take up. I love this. So tell me a little bit more about being in Alaska. You know, so I actually have a number of colleagues up there. It's become a hotbed. If we're thinking about osteopathic medicine in Fairbanks, particularly, there's this growing practice. Um, and I get to see all the pictures and it looks so beautiful. So tell me about that transition. Cause my understanding is you came from the farthest possible point, perhaps <laughs> in the country to get to Alaska. Yeah. So we were in Florida and uh, I was born and raised in Florida and I, um, our husband and I were both practicing there and had our kids there uh, with us and my husband's one of those that like, I don't know, he'll talk and research jet skis for six months and we never have to purchase it. He just has to go through the process of researching and then we avoid the purchase. And I just say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. That sounds good. uh Uh-huh. And then it goes away. Well, he was reading like an ice climbing book. And this is way before like Alaska reality TV was a thing, right? So he's reading ice climbing books. And, and then I think there were some um, like small aircraft, you know, adventures um, books that he was reading. And he kept saying, like, we should move to Alaska. And I'm like, yeah, 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 honey. Uh-huh. And like, <laughs> like waiting for the six months to go by. Yeah. And two years later, he was still saying that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're serious. And he said, I am serious. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds so insane. At the same time, we both felt like it was um, time for a change for us and a time for a move. And um, I was kind of thinking we'd be going internationally because I kind of mm-hmm. loved doing some international medicine. Um, but I decided just to be open. You know, it's that whole growth mindset. Okay, Alaska was not on my list of places to move to. And just let me guarantee you, I like a little bit of northern exposure. I think I've watched some <laughs> episodes. And then otherwise, cold, tundra, dark, that's all I knew. So we came up um, one April. And April here is what we consider breakup. That's where all the snow is melting, all last year's dirt and trash is being exposed. And I got off the plane and being a girl from Florida and just seeing these mountains 
It's like, oh my goodness, this is the most beautiful place in the entire world. So we interviewed that weekend. We came up, interviewed, both got jobs, and then um, ended up moving up uh, a couple of months later. So that's our story. We've been here 13 years now. That's amazing. What would you say, besides those beautiful mountains, what's your favorite thing about living in Alaska? You know, it was a really, there's so many shifts that happen by living here. My husband uh, was an orthopedic, or he still is an orthopedic <laughs> surgeon, but he was in private practice in Florida. And there was so much trauma and he loves trauma, but like he was on call every third night. And, um, and then, so the next night he would, after clinic, he would be finishing up cases from the night before and then you get one night off and then it was call again. Right. So, so he kind of graced us with his presence every once in a while. So when we moved up here and he worked for the Alaska native medical center, he worked four 12 hour shifts. It's like, this is amazing. Right. <laughs> so that was a shift. But the other thing, the, um, the culture up here, as far as just it, at least in Anchorage, is a lot of people just being active. Like everybody's outdoors. And in Florida, it was 90 degrees and humid. And I never wanted to be outdoors in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so just embracing a whole different um, approach to life. We had more time together. We had a lot of time in nature, learned a lot of new skills. I'm still working on my um, skate skiing ability. <laughs> I love that. And just seeing there, right, you, you found that way to put the structure in your life for function and embrace it. And it still worked where you were in Florida, but also listening when it is time to make a change for yourself. I love that. Well, I'd like to say as we get close to closing here, thank you so much for being here. And I wonder, our final question always is, how do you see yourself for the health of all things? What that might mean to you? I see myself and define part of my purpose as helping others um, achieve their health. And it's not anything I give them. It's the things that I help them uncover about themselves. Uh, And I hope to continue to do do that through coaching and especially um, those early in their career so they can enjoy not just the process of training, but enjoy their career. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so great. Thank you so much. And how could people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about your program? If they are up in Anchorage, how can they find you? Um, you can reach me on the website. It's www.joyandfamilymedicine.com. Um, also, they can uh, follow me on Facebook, um, Joy and Family Medicine. Um, and um, they can shoot me a contact contact me uh, through my website or they can just email me at joyandfamilymedicine at gmail.com. Excellent. We'll put those all in the show notes as well. Any final closing words, words of encouragement for residents or any folks out there listening? I just, I think residents need to know that it's, you just got to trust the process and you can embrace it and you are exactly where you're supposed to be. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is a great conversation and hopefully we'll have you on again. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. 
Thank you so much for listening.